In this episode of Theology for the People, I speak with Pastor Mike Neglia about the topic of gluttony. Mike is the pastor of Calvary Cork in Cork City, Ireland. He's been a frequent guest on this podcast. He leads the Expositors Collective. And in this episode, we talk about the topic of gluttony, which is kind of the shadow side to one of our previous topics, the topic of fasting. I talked about before the break we took at the end of the month of June. So why is gluttony a sin? What constitutes gluttony? Why is it a danger to our soul? And what can we do about it? That's what we talk about in this episode. I hope you'll enjoy it. And at the end of this episode, stay tuned for a few further thoughts and a preview of the next episode. Welcome to Theology for the People. This is Nick Cady. I'm joined today by Pastor Mike Neglia. Mike, you're a recurring guest, and I think the reason I keep asking you back is because I know that you also listen to the podcast. I do. I do. I'm not just a, what What do they say in the hair club for men? Like, I'm not just a the president. I'm also a user. Is that? Yeah, a customer, I think. Right? Customer. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I love Theology for the People. I have stickers of it. I've put stickers on some of my notebooks. I actually read your show notes, and I've been noticing that you haven't been updating lately. So and what do I got to do I, around here to get a new episode? Oh, I have, to be, <laughs> I have to be on one. <laughs> yeah. So I took a hiatus for the summer. I told the listeners, like, in a, in a thing at the very end, for those who listened that far, I told them, hey, I'm taking a break for the summer. I think it was right before I went to the conference in California that we were both at. And I said, okay, taking a break for the summer, I'll be back. And I didn't say when, but now I'm, I'm back. So um, I'm looking forward to talking to you. And I'm expecting, Mike, if you're up for it, we might have more than one episode in this second half of this season. We'll see. I would love that. Okay. Today, here's what I'd like to talk about. Gluttony. What is it? And why is it a sin? And why does it matter? And mm. I, I think when we talk about sins and things like that, I don't think that gluttony is always the first one that comes to people's minds. But I know, Mike, that you did a series at your church in Cork, Ireland about the seven deadly sins. So I want to talk to you about that. So yeah. first of all, Mike, what are the seven deadly sins? Where are they found? Why do they matter? Okay. Let me be, let, let me be honest. They're not found in the Bible. Or, or let, me, let me put it this way. There's not a list of the seven deadly sins in the Bible. There are the Ten Commandments that everyone knows and loves. There's a few different times when, when chiefly Paul, but Peter does it as well too, he does what's called like a vice list where he lists out like the, the works of the flesh are evident. They are this and that and that. And so there's a, a couple of lists that Paul does. And that kind of is... Yeah, a, a useful thing where he categorizes, hey, here's some things that are very dangerous to your souls. And uh, yeah, I guess over the course of the centuries that followed, some early Christians maybe found it useful to categorize even contemporary sins or even kind of say like, what's like these families or clusters of sins for devout Christians to be like avoidant of. And then from that, the, the list that we know now as the seven deadly sins came, came up. That being said, when I preach the series at my church, I, I rarely, if ever, use the phrase seven deadly sins. I just said, hey guys, here's like seven vices that are going to wreck our lives. And mm. a few people were aware of, of the seven deadly sins, others weren't. And the goal on the Sunday morning wasn't to like give an interesting church history lecture, but just, just say, hey, listen, we're warned against these sins and let's talk about them. Yeah. So what is this? Are the seven deadly sins the same thing as what the Catholic Church refers to as mortal sins? No. 
No, buddy, there's there's lists for everything, and they rarely overlap. Mm -hmm. As far as I'm aware off the top of my head, I don't think so. Yeah, they have a distinction between mortal and venial sins, and off the top of my head, looks like you're Googling something. And and Nick, if you are finding out that I'm wrong, <laughs> then please edit this out. I don't think they're the same thing. What does what does your Googling tell you? It would tell me that you're right, that the, oh, they are different. But I, I think, Mike, we've even talked about this. And I remember you mentioning that the list of seven deadly sins goes back before, like, the Great Schism and even some of those things. So, I mean, do you have the list of it in front of you? Because I'm curious what they are. I have the list. Yeah. Here's actually from a Colorado author called Jeff Cook. He he wrote a book that I found to be quite helpful on this. He he did a cool thing where he was comparing and contrasting the seven deadly sins with like the seven or eight beatitudes of Christ. But it would be pride, envy, sloth, greed, lust, wrath, and then he puts gluttony as the seventh and final one of them. So tell me this, like why should we as Christians care? about these seven deadly sins? Like, why is this something that's worth focusing on? Yeah. Well, I suppose, it's a, what, a, what a great question. We're never meant to be, and, and, and Jesus, nor Paul, nor any of the, the authors of the New Testament want us to be like, uh, what's the word, like unhealthily fixated upon, upon sin. In fact, even one of those vice lists that I referenced earlier, where Paul speaks about like the, the, the deeds of the flesh, I think in Galatians, but he talks about like the corresponding, like the fruits of the spirit. And I think he wants us to kind of focus on that. And I believe he says that those that... Oh, you know what? I I spilled something on my Bible right on Galatians 5:25 and I could barely make it out. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Wow, yes. And then, yeah, is it there or elsewhere where he says those 16, those I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's it. Verse okay. 16 was what I was looking for. Yeah. And um, I mean, verse 17, right? The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Yeah. Right? And the desires of the Spirit against the flesh, they oppose each other. So, yeah. Yeah. So I would say all that, all that to say is I would, I would say the Bible doesn't tell us, hey, listen, be obsessed with your sin. I think it would tell us walk in step with the Spirit. And it also, of course, we would say tells us to, to fix our eyes upon Christ, to set our mind on things above. And even Colossians 3 has a, a list of sins, a vice list that's there. But it's connecting that with like, but, but fix your eyes upon heaven, and that, then you'll be led out of those things. So does the Bible tell us to fixate on these things? No. Did I preach seven weeks in a row on this? Yes. <laughs> but I, I thought they were very interesting, like, entry points into our need and then leading towards God's provision. We usually have like a, a liturgy. We do a, a scripture reading followed by responsive reading. And for all seven weeks during that series, the, the reader would, would say, where sin abounds, and then we all would respond with, but grace abounds all the more. So they mm. were merely like, A, warnings for us to have virtuous lives, but then also on ramps to be reminded of God's empowering grace again and again and again. Yeah, sure, because I could imagine just telling people, hey, gluttony's bad, and you yeah. shouldn't do it, is insufficient, right, for yeah. a Christian worship service. Yeah. yeah, you can get that from a magazine at the checkout line of the, of the grocery store. They'll tell you, you should watch what you eat, you should be careful, you should be cautious. And I think that addressing the vice of gluttony in light of God's grace is so much different than what a magazine article can offer us. 
Got it. So Mike, just could you define for us what is gluttony? Like, how do I know if I've just enjoyed a good meal or if I've crossed that line into gluttony? Like, where is the line? And, and then let's talk after that. Why should I not do that other than the fact that God doesn't like it? Right. Okay. Well, so what, what is gluttony? I think it is, and I'm kind of borrowing from Aquinas and others, they speak about these sins in particular as disordered appetites. It's, it's, it's something that is good, something that is to be enjoyed, but it's the second or third most important thing becomes the first most important thing. Or to use, I don't know, language from, from Tim Keller or John Piper, they would call this, it's idolatry. It's a created thing placed in the position that like only God should fill. And so I would say that gluttony is, it's an appetite that's become far too much for us. And that's the same mm -hmm. thing that we see with like the other deadly sins of, let's say, envy or especially greed or even lust. It's all like, I have this desire for something, but it's not to have it in its proper place. It's that like, I must have this and I, I need to have more. And Jared Wilson, he says that, that for a lot of these sins, especially gluttony, it's we say more when we should say enough. You know, it's mm. like, I, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. So gluttony has to do with food, but I think more than anything, food is simply an expression of this disordered affection, this unchained appetite. So that's a little bit of what it is. Obviously, it expresses itself in food a lot, but even in English, we have phrases about like, so-and-so is a glutton for punishment. And that just means that that mm. person is doing the sort of things that cause him or her to be punished over and over and over again. So it's like, I want more. So it's connected to greed more than anything else. It's a, so that's kind of what gluttony is. And your mm -hmm. next question was, why should we not want it or how, or yeah, why? Yeah. Like, why is it, why is it bad? Yeah. Well, I mean, one could speak about the overconsumption of the West and the misuse of resources and all that. And, and I think there's, there's value in that. But, but again, a magazine article could tell you those same things. And I'm not saying anything less than that. I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying more than that. Even, I'm just kind of thinking off the fly right here, there's even a degree of like gluttony in the Garden of Eden, in, mm. in the land full of abundance, in the land where there's no scarcity at all. But Eve and then her husband, Adam, had had an appetite and they wanted more. They wanted more than what God gave them. And so they desired more. So my earlier musings about like, we should be responsible citizens of the earth and we shouldn't take up too many resources, etc. But like, I think it's a problem that even in a world that wasn't fallen in a world full of abundance, still the desire for more and more and more is, is a bad thing. So I think it kind of comes down to like a lack of contentment. Ephesians, sorry, Timothy chapter six speaks about how God's given us all things richly to enjoy. And so there's enjoying it. And then there's the time when we come into kind of like petulant little spoiled brats that were like, well, that's good, but I need more. That's good. Mm -hmm. I demand more, 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 more. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a lack of thank thankfulness, lack of, lack of contentment and a desire to, I don't know, take, when satisfaction is available, but we don't, we don't offer it. We don't take advantage yeah. of it, rather. So, Mike, can you tell me a little bit about how Christians throughout history have talked about this or viewed this topic? Well, a lot of times, like these days, 
we don't. Christians don't really address this. And I think there's, there's complications in that because... Um, so we, we had this lady in our church and she was like a, she was a, a medical person and we've had a lot, I've had a lot of conversations with her over the years about kind of food and diet related things. She highlighted to me that in this current day and age, there's like economic issues that go into this as well too. Mm. And that with kind of a fixation on like, well, if people are overweight, well, that must, they must be their gluttonous. She kind of highlighted to me that like in the economic reality that we live in, like cheap food is unhealthy. And if you want to have like a, a nutritious smoothie, that's going to be like six or seven euro. But if you want um, ramen noodles, that's like 20 cents. And with, with the proliferation of like really cheap, unhealthy food, there's a kind of economic disparity. And maybe days, sorry, years ago and days gone by, uh, it would have been that you'd have to be wealthy to be overweight. Um, and it was the the poor people who were skinny and thin. And then now it's almost it's almost reversed. Again, I want to be careful that I'm not. This is my my second economic rant on this, and I'm not wow. I'm not wow. an economist. It's not <laughs> economy for the people, <laughs> economics for the people. It's theology for the people. Yeah. Okay, Christians at their best. Christians yeah. at our best. We understand that like God's given us appetites. He's also given us things richly to enjoy, and we can and should enjoy them, but do so like in in moderation. And I think that there's ways to like actually enjoy food in a way that that glorifies God. 1 Corinthians 10 31, and all that you do, whether you eat or drink, do all things to the glory of God. And I think it's possible to eat a a blueberry scone to the glory of God, which is like, I'm enjoying this. I'm I'm appreciating the texture. This is like nourishing me. I had a blueberry scone earlier on when I was talking with one of my elders, Mark Ryan. We were enjoying it together. I was I was appreciating that this shared meal, shared snack anyway, was like allowing us to spend time together in one another's presence. So Christians at our best, we want to enjoy the things that we eat, the things that we drink to the glory of God. And that means that we're we're not wolfing it down. We're not just looking for the next bite, but we're just appreciating it as a good gift from God. Mm. I'm, I'm ranting a bunch. One last thing, I don't know about you, but like my family prays before dinner. Some, some people do, some people don't. I'm really trying to get my kids to like actually not have it be a perfunctory prayer, but to think like the, the macaroni and cheese we're going to have is like a good gift from our God. Mm -hmm. And these mashed potatoes are a good gift from our good father. So I think that's one of the ways also to eat our food with, with thankfulness of heart. That's a way to glorify God, whether mm -hmm. we eat or drink. I want to get back to something you mentioned. You mentioned a little bit of the historical context of how people viewed body image and how it relates to economics. I think that actually is an important issue. And yet gluttony, if it is a sin in the Bible, which obviously it is, therefore it is transcultural too. So I want to talk about that in a minute. So don't let me forget to get back. It's in my notes as well. But I'm writing it down be, now too. Be, before we get to that, I do have a few other things that I wanted to ask, kind of just walking through a few thoughts on this topic. So one would be, okay, how have Christians talked about it historically? I heard you say once, so you mentioned, is it Basil or Basil of Caesarea said that yeah. if you are gluttonous, then you will not ascend to heaven? Yeah. Basically, if you <laughs> weigh too much, I guess it'll be hard. Will it be hard for God? Will we grow wings? How is this difficult? I don't understand. Yeah, you won't. You won't get raptured if you are <laughs> attached to the things of earth. Okay. Now, who am I to critique Basil of Caesarea, a wise, a wise man? 
I'm going to assume that he was taking that as like an allegorical or I don't know, sarcasm or a joke. If he literally meant that, then we know that he's wrong. But if he's using it as a memorable sticky point into our minds, then it's worked because what he was a Cappadocian father that was like right. 1600 years ago. And we're still talking about it right now. They're so good, good on the Trinity. Maybe not so good on, on like weight issues. I don't know. Yeah. Him so, and his two um, friends, both named Gregory, they had some yeah. good insights. Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's a few thoughts that I wanted to get to. Okay. Tell me some Bible verses, right? Like let's, we're Bible folks. Yeah. Is this just an Old Testament thing? Like in the Old Testament, this was like an issue that people had, but by the time we got to the New Testament, they were like, nah, never mind. It's all good. That was just Old Testament stuff. Hmm. Well, okay, yeah, we have like the the positive stuff about eating and drinking in in one Corinthians. I mean, it fascinating. Like our like as as Protestants or as low church Protestants, we only have two um, sacraments, right? Baptism and communion. One of them involves eating. So Christ, out of all the ways that he wants to be remembered, one of them involves like a ceremonial meal that we eat together. So it's like a positive thing about food. There are warnings about, is it in Philippians, I believe, where Paul talks about, he's talking about false teachers. And then I wonder too, is this kind of a bit of a metaphor, but he speaks about how like their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. I think at the end of, of chapter three. So Philippians, eh? Philippians, yeah. So he, he speaks about like certain people, this group that he's warning them against. He says that their God is their, is their belly. He's talking about, again, like they have, let's say even these desires, these appetites, and they're allowing them to take the place of where God alone should be. So there's that. I I may be drawing a blank as far as like other New Testament stuff. You you asked. Did you mention Corinthians six? Yeah. Is there there's a reference in First Corinthians six, isn't there? Saying that food is for the body. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. I I wonder if that's the main point though. He's kind of uh, he's kind of he's quoting what some people say as it, it actually refers to morality. Sex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Some people had said basically like when you're hungry, you eat a sandwich and when you're, when you want to have sex, you have sex. And yes. so that's how we should view sex. It's just like a bodily function. And he's saying, no, 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 sex is more than that. But I wonder yeah. if that does tie into gluttony because his point there is to say that what you do with your body has spiritual significance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And even the appetites that we have are on the one hand, we could say they're natural. Maybe we could all say they're supernatural because they're given to us by God. But these these natural appetites that we have, like they're meant to be satisfied in the right time, in the right place, and the right context, but never to be chief and foremost. And again, it's bad if your belly is your God. And then also it's bad if your sex drive is your God. It, it's, it's good to, to work and have money, but it's bad if money or mammon is is your God. So I think, yeah, in a roundabout way, while this isn't technically talking about food, it is talking about bodily appetites. And mm -hmm. sex is one of those, and then food is another one. Each of them, good gifts from above, but yet not to be central in our eyes or our, our number one priority or our goal. The chief end of man is not to eat as much food as you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think also there, there are two reasons that come to mind. And you, you tell me if you think I've 
got it or if there's more. One reason would be because we're embodied beings, right? So this is contra the the idea of like the Gnostics, which would say that you are, there's a, what is that, dualism, right? Where it's like your body and your soul are two separate things, and either that leads to a negative view of the body, or it can lead to licentiousness, where you say, I can do whatever I want with my body because it doesn't affect my soul. So on the one hand, we would say, that's because we're embodied beings. And on the other hand, I think that what Paul's also pointing out is that what you do with your body perhaps reveals something about what's going on in your soul, right? So in other words, if you are overindulging, perhaps that's pointing to, on the one hand, you are searching for something, kind of that idea of disordered loves. Yeah. And on the other hand, like, what are you doing? Like, what is the dysfunction that's revealing in your soul? Yeah. Yeah, there's that G.K. Chesterton quote that you've probably heard. I'm going to butcher it, but he says, like, every young man who knocks on the door of a brothel is, like, in his heart, he's he's searching for God. Mm-hmm. And that's a provocative, provocative statement. But he's he's saying that, yeah, there is, like, a desire for transcendence. There's a desire to be seen and known in love. And, and our physical appetites give us a foretaste of that. But uh, we, we got to go beyond that we've got to go we've got to go more than that yeah and i, I want to talk about that more in a second but let's stick with this topic oh, yes. of Sorry. bible verses <laughs> which is hey nick don't okay, worry g- i i interview people for a podcast too and i know what it's like when they just like <laughs> they just go away off i'm gonna try no, to do that less and less I, it's, it's more for myself because my tendency is to be like let's go there and then like not do things in what i tend to think is maybe a, a better order for us to get there. So yeah. I'm doing that for myself, not for you. Mike, tell, <laughs> tell our listeners about your podcast in case they haven't heard about it lately. It's called Expositors Collective. It's If you're into like teaching the Bible or want to understand it in order to communicate it to others, we geek out about sermon preparation and delivery. And Nick's on it a lot. And you recently interviewed Brian Chapel, which is really cool, Mike. Like that for me, I mean, I know you've interviewed a lot of really cool people, but for me, that was the one where I'm like, this podcast has now arrived. <laughs> We've arrived, but now it's like, well, who else is there? I don't know what to do. <laughs> we not, not just arrived, but peaked and then now plummeting down. No, no, no. Anyway, go okay. back and listen to our old episodes, guys. Yes. So, Mike, tell me, that I, I know that you had some proverbs prepared to share with us, and I, I want to hear those. Yeah. Well, okay, there's, there's three proverbs. And they all have to do with honey. And I think that it kind of matches up with like the Bible's teaching about food and like honey is the example. So Proverbs 24 verse 13 says, my son, eat honey for it's good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. All right. Created by God for us to enjoy. Honey is kind of a stand in for, we could even just say all food. It's good. It's sweet for your taste. You should enjoy it. Proverbs 25 Verse 16 says, if you have honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. If you have too much, if you have a disordered appetite, you're going to puke. And then 25 verse 27, it is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one own glory. So 
we, we go from at the beginning, created by God, you should enjoy it. And then the next one, don't enjoy it too much. And then it touches into like that transcendent. It's like, this is actually kind of like a glory issue. This is not about you being relentlessly and ceaselessly satisfied. We're actually made for the glory of someone else. We're made to live our lives glorifying not our own belly, but the creator and sustainer of our bellies, God himself. And I just, I noticed that in Proverbs. I was like, honey, honey. Oh, hey. I was like, why, what's this theme of honey? And I don't want to force too much onto it, but I think there's even that progression of the way that we're supposed to understand our appetites in general, food specifically, and then honey in the microcosm of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So getting back to what we were talking about that I said, okay, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Now, now let's get ahead of ourselves. Okay. So, um, Here's, here's my thought about this, and I think that you've already touched on it, but perhaps part of the reason why gluttony is highlighted as being something that God tells us not to do is because food and feasting are teleological in nature, yeah. meaning that they point us to something greater, something that is to come in the eschaton. They're eschatological and teleological. So for anybody who doesn't know what that means, it just put it in a layman's terms. Teleological means it points us to something. And eschatological means it points us to the final culmination of all things. What would you say to that, Mike? Oh boy, the potty, the odd, the podcast audience can't see the like spontaneous smile that's erupted from my face. Nick, you really put the theology in theology for people. (laughs) I I appreciate that. Yeah. Like the new heavens and the new earth, like the, the metaphors that are used or the previews that we have, they, they're like, so much of them is like based on eating and drinking. And I mentioned how we have communion as a sacrament which is mm. this small meal that reminds us looking back on the cross of Christ. Also, we could say that this communion that we have every Sunday or however often our churches commemorate that, it's, it's like the starter course for the ultimate feast that's going to take place, the, the mm. marriage supper of the Lamb, and then we could say every feast that takes place afterwards. So, yeah, it's, it's not even that... Again, I want to 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 use those proverbs about honey too much, but it's not God's not saying like, "Hey, don't enjoy food too much because food's bad for you." It's like, "Hey, listen, you ain't seen nothing yet." Almost like he's saying, mm. "Don't spoil your appetite because oh, wow. there's something even greater coming later on." And so when they're talking about like who's going to be citizens in heaven, and I think it's, it's in Luke's gospel. It says there'll be many people that come from the east and the west. They're going to be eating and drinking with Abraham, and so there is going to be like an enjoyment and like the appetites that we have now. They're actually they're not made to be eternally frustrated. They're actually meant to be satisfied, and and God Himself gives us that. And then again, like I said, we're not meant to spoil our, our appetites by turning our bellies and our appetites into God here, but allow God there to satisfy us eternally. And between then and now, we're able to enjoy food with friends, enjoy drinks with friends, and receive them as good gifts from God, never like overindulging with food or especially with drink, because that goes beyond like the gift and the purpose for which they're given. But I suppose I could say that like, to a degree, don't quote me on this, but like every meal can be a little bit sacramental if we make it. Every meal can be mm-hmm. like a foretaste of glory divine if we do so with the right heart and, and the right mind. 
Obviously, there's something special and unique about communion, but there is a way to have every, every time you sit and feast with friends, even times when we sit and eat alone, can be like, I'm receiving this as a good gift from God, and there's better things to come. There's more coming. So because of that, I think gluttony is something we should avoid now, because ultimately God's going to satisfy us eternally one day. That's so good, Mike. Yeah, I just, I just enjoyed listening to you talk about that, because, I mean, that is something that God has designed us for, and it's something that awaits us. I think it's part of who he's made us to be. And so I just think about when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, and he says, the next time we share this meal will be yeah. in my kingdom. And man, I, I've been saying that. So we do communion at our church every Sunday. And oftentimes, when I'll hold up the cup and say, remind people that this is not only reminding us and celebrating what Jesus did by his shed blood for us, but this cup reminds us of the coming feast. And I I just love Isaiah 25. I'll just read it real fast. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of food rich in marrow, of aged wine well refined. And so... And then going on, I mean, gosh, there's so much, right? He says in verse 8, he will swallow up death forever and wipe away tears from all faces. It's just pointing to the eschaton, and it's in doing so in terms of feasting and indulging. And yeah, I think there's something, right, that in a way, if we are, you know, not inhibiting ourselves, right, if we're just like going full bore and gorging ourselves now, it's almost like it's too early. We're ruining our appetite, perhaps even cheapening what awaits. And yeah, that's that's such an interesting thought. Now, let me just shift. I know that we're going to end this soon. I just want to shift to one final. I actually got two final things. One is a quick question for you, Mike. Do you think that gluttony could disqualify someone from Christian leadership? And if so, how would you ever know at what point someone has crossed that line? It does seem to be kind of a gray line as opposed to like very clearly black and white. Yeah. You didn't send me that question in advance. That's a, that's a hard (laughs) one. I have, (laughs) I mean, I, my YouTube algorithm is so weird because like I look up the weirdest stuff. And so I actually had a video recommended to me in, in recent days and it was, it was a pastor repenting of his gluttony and, mm. and like publicly saying, like, I was gluttonous and God convicted of me, convicted this of me, and now, now I'm not anymore. Now, what it wasn't, it wasn't him saying, I'm gluttonous, so I'm going to step down from ministry. It was that all these months ago, I got convicted, and so I've gotten a hold of my, my, my habits and patterns better, and so now I've finally gotten victory over this. That's kind of the closest I've ever seen to anyone ever being disqualified. It's somebody like self-acknowledging that it used to be a problem and then isn't anymore. Yeah, okay. we've had long elder discussions about even kind of nominating other elders to join us on the team. And in our discussions, we've never spoken about someone's consumption of food as a mm-hmm. as a disqualifying thing or not. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's do something think? that crosses a lot of people's minds. I yeah. do think that the, I have seen people who I've observed, like people who were particularly overweight and other people questioning whether or not they should be disqualified. And I think that leads us into another issue, which is the final thing I wanted to talk yeah. about quickly. I, I, I do you, have a verse. I do have a verse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 1 Timothy 3, 2. 
An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, because that's there, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent and gentle, not quarrelsome, not a, man, not a lover of money. So uh, we have not a drunkard, which means like treating alcohol with wisdom, whether that means none or being moderate with it, and then self-controlled. And so, I don't know, maybe a pastoral search committee would wonder if a person's, the way that a person in the privacy of their home interacts with the food in their fridge, if mm. that is a glimpse into a self-controlled life or a lack of self-control. Yeah. And I mean, this gets to the whole, even, I mean, I, I do think that there is a correlation here with like alcohol and food in this sense, right? Because, okay, let's put it this way. If your relationship with food is disordered in the way that it's what you turn to in times of despair, in times of when you need comfort, if it's yeah. what you turn to in those cases where you should be turning to the Lord for those things, then I would say that it has become an idol, it has become a god. I mean, and, and the same is true of alcohol or any other substance that would alter your your state, right? Yeah. If, if it's something that you turn to for escapism or for comfort, then something's wrong in your heart. Okay, so yeah. this also gets to the idea of, okay, is this just like, it's just like religious fat shaming, right? Yeah. And, mm. And I think it gets to what you mentioned that this lady in your church had had brought up, that in many cases, obesity in our modern age isn't actually related to gluttony. In many cases, it can be related to eating highly processed foods yeah. and things like that. And so gluttony doesn't always result in obesity. Obesity isn't always caused by gluttony. Yeah. And there, there are many other forms of eating disorder. I wonder how those fit into this as well. A bulimia, for example, in a way is a form yeah. of gluttony that doesn't lead to obesity because you're doing something else that, yeah. that is unhealthy. Okay. So here was my thought. Okay. There's a historical context in which I wonder if this is also part of why gluttony is a sin. If you go back in history and you think, okay, in times in history when people had food scarcity as a regular part of life, if you were uh, gluttonous, it meant a couple things. Number one, it could mean that you were a person of wealth and power, and therefore you ate without, in without any inhibitions at all. You just kept going because you had the means to do so. Why now, on I? the other hand— Why shouldn't I yeah, stop eating? yeah. On the other hand, if you were a middle class or poor person and food scarcity is a regular part of life, if you're gluttonous in a way that is taking food away from other people who need it, or it might be the same as like when you get paid, blowing all your money and not saving any for later in the month. Hmm. And so in those cases, you could say that, that maybe that is part of why gluttony is considered a sin in this historical context, because it's unwise and because it's selfish and potentially harmful to others. However, wouldn't you say then, therefore, if this is a sin, that it's also transcultural, meaning it, it isn't just tied to certain situations in history, whether in the past or even today? Yeah. Okay, yeah. You mentioned that this this sounds like a Christian version of, of fat shaming, and then I think I shouted, yeah, 
which, which wasn't to say like, yes, it is. And I'm happy about it. I, I was actually glad that you were highlighting that there's a distinction be between this. And yeah, there's the economic realities that you've talked about. There's the, the unhealthy patterns. There also is like side effects of medication. Some people, because of an illness, they take medicine and then boom, it's easy to gain weight. It's hard to lose weight all of a sudden. So yeah, there's, there's, there's more to it. Christ often tells us we're, well, we're not to be judging by outward appearances, but looking at the hearts. And so I, I acknowledge that as well. And I, I hear that. Transcultural, you mentioned, like, yeah, as far as I know, I'm, I'm kind of like surveying the whole Bible in my head as we're talking. I'm trying to think who's described as as overweight in the Bible. I can only think of one person, and it's a King King Eglon in mm. Judges chapter three. Remember him? He he was yeah he was stabbed by Ehud and the the stomach it, it's gross. Judges chapter mm -hmm. three verse twenty. If you want to check the it out, the knife got got lost essentially. Yes, yes, and I was in a Christian grindcore band we were called stabs to death and in our t-shirts we had judges 320 on them that's why i know that verse <laughs> so well yeah i don't have i don't have a lot of verses in judges memorized but i have judges 320 memorized so I, as far as i know i'm sure that maybe there's a, a theologian listening to this episode and they're they're thinking of some other person that i that i'm not but i mean the, the description of anyone that's overweight is King Eglon. That doesn't bode well, but at the same time, we realize there's a lot of cultural issues that caused to, to weight gain here. Also, man, we lived through like this very stressful two-year pandemic. People were told that they shouldn't leave their houses. There's also these other things that are causing... Uh, anyway, it's, it's more than just a simplistic thing, but sometimes the condition of our heart impacts what we do with our bodies, and then sometimes those things impact with like weight gain and, and inability to lose weight that are, I don't know, that sometimes could show a heart condition. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a, more of a random, I don't know if that made the most sense. I'm, I'm trying here. I'm trying, man. I like that you just talked about your grindcore band. So that's good. So sadly, we didn't record anything. So you'll have to just take my word for it that we were really good. Okay. Mike, thank you so much for your time today and for discussing this. I look forward to having you back and God bless you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Theology for the People. In my next episode, I'll be speaking with Aaron Damiani. He's a pastor in the Chicago area, and we'll be talking about the topic of liturgy. In other words, which elements can be used in a worship service in order to help instruct believers? What are some of the liturgical elements that have been used throughout church history? Where have some of them fallen out of use that we might need to bring back? And what are the best ways to make disciples through the time that we have in our gatherings together? That is something that we will be talking about in our episode, so stay tuned for that next week. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would share it with somebody else. And if you'd like to help the podcast, you can give us a rating or review on your podcast app, particularly a written review on the Apple Podcast app tends to boost this content in the algorithms and make it easier for other people to find. So if you would do that, I would be honored and appreciative of it. Until next time, thanks for listening and God bless you.